Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thank you again for joining me here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 46. Well, withdrawal is starting to set in. I've not touched a club in a week, but uh, but that's okay. Some time off is a good thing. Before I get into this week's episode, I wanted to congratulate the ladies of the University of Arizona women's golf team. These golf dorks from Tucson just keep on winning. They just won the Pac-12 preview tournament in Hawaii. Now, here's why I'm calling them golf dorks. If you've been listening to the back of the range for a little while, you might have caught the episode where their coach, Laura Ionello, joined us for a fun chat. She talked about her recruiting preferences, and we kind of came to the conclusion that, well, she likes to recruit golf dorks. Well, the defending national champions just wrapped up their fall season in style. Congrats to them. More proof that guests of the podcast get a little extra mojo sent their way. So always nice to see that happening. A lot of what we do around here is on Instagram. So we're on Instagram at the back of the range podcast. That's where you're going to find upcoming guest announcements, giveaways, you know, kind of teaser clips of what's going to be coming up next. If you haven't followed us there, please do. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. We're actually putting episodes up on YouTube as well. So if that's your preference, go ahead and check that out. Don't worry about writing down our Twitter handle or the YouTube link. All of that stuff is available in the show notes of the episode of this podcast. And to make it even easier for you, remember, the central hub, thebackoftherange.com. That's where we have everything waiting for you. So I mentioned giveaways. We like to give away free towels and hats and beer koozies. We're actually running out of that stuff pretty quickly. So we need, to, uh, we need to order some more stuff. But listen, if you want a towel, if you want a hat, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. That gets our attention really quickly. Send us a screenshot. We will send you some free stuff. We really appreciate all the support. I know it's not much, but hey, you can always use another golf towel. So on to this week's episode. We are honored to have Dennis Walters join us for a conversation about his life and career in and around the game of golf. If you haven't heard of Dennis Walters, well, you're about to. Let's start with just a couple of his awards and accolades that he's received. Dennis is only one of 11 honorary lifetime members of the PGA of America. This exclusive club has three members that are former presidents of the United States. In 2008, the PGA of America presented him with their highest honor, the Distinguished Service Award. Earlier this year, the USGA awarded Dennis with their biggest award, the Bob Jones Award, during the U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. His presenters, Jack and Barbara Nicholas. Dennis was an exceptional collegiate player, but before he was able to chase down the dream of playing on the PGA Tour, he had a tragic accident that left him paralyzed. As you'll find out in this episode, that didn't stop him from finding a different way to play golf. Eventually, he developed the Dennis Walters Golf Show, and has been on his own tour for over 40 years. He's performed over 3,000 shows all over the world. His trick shot artistry may be the glitz and glam of the show, but most importantly, he provides a message of positivity and hard work to his audiences, which are often comprised largely of junior golfers. We have had many different types of guests this year at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Great players, coaches, personalities, this episode with Dennis is more than just stories. There is a message to it. So if you have junior golfers in your house, or if you know some friends that have junior golfers in their house, share this episode. We try to grow the game for the kids here at the back of the range, and I hope that this episode does just that. So let's get started. Dennis, thanks so much for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, kind of the name of our podcast, The Back of the Range, we're going to get into uh, a lot of things that uh, that you've done and you've accomplished, but you spend quite a bit of time at the back of the range working on your golf game. And uh, we're going to get into a little bit of that a little bit later, but we always start out the episode just talking about how people get into the game of golf, whether it's through friends or through family. So before we get started with your current career, what you've been doing over the last 35 years, what, uh, how did you get into the game of golf? Well, the first time I saw a golf course, I was about eight years old, and I was on my way to school, and 
I knew the course was there and I wanted to check it out. I went, I had to walk through the woods about 130 or 40 yards. And before I even got to the golf course, I saw a deer. I liked it before I even got there. Okay. And when I, when I popped out of the woods, I was right by the 18th tee. And I saw one of the golfers there get up there and hit a ball, probably about 250 yards. And when you're that age, how far can you actually throw a baseball or kick a football? And I said, wow, that's pretty cool. I'd like to, when I get big, I'd like to be able to do that. Sure. So I went home and told my dad about it and he asked me if I'd like to go. And I said, yeah. So we went down there the next day and I uh, got a, we met the pro there and uh, I got a, I got a, he gave me a golf club, which I still have today. And, uh, the most, uh, one of the most ironic things is it's a Robert T. Jones Jr. driver. Gave me a driver and a six iron. And, uh, I used, I brought that with me this summer when I got the Bob Jones award. Sure. And I used it as, as a visual aid for my speech. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, the, the award you're talking about, you received last year, 2018 Bob Jones award at the U S open. Uh, you've received just uh, a, a ton of awards. I went through the list of accomplishments and awards that you've received uh, over the years. Truly incredible. You are one of 11 honorary lifetime members of the PGA of America. The, that's a pretty small and special group that you're a part of. As you said, the Bob Jones Award and... Um, we're going to get into a couple of the other awards that you've received a little bit later. But you had an excellent high school and, and, and especially a college playing career at North Texas State. Now, you're originally from New Jersey. How did you get to North Texas State University coming out of New Jersey? That seems like it had to have been a crazy culture shock going to North Texas. It was a bit of a culture shock, but I, I, wanted, to go, I wanted to go someplace where I could play golf all year. And, uh, in 1967, I won three state championships in about six weeks. And there was, uh, there were two golf pros, Stan Mosel and Ray Ferguson, who played for North Texas. And they were club pros in New Jersey. And they kind of got me to go down there and it was great. I really enjoyed it very much. And I was, uh, the first day I was there, I was out playing a university course the worst golf course I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> Any grass it, on that course or, uh, or no? Very little. Okay. Very little grass. They had some grass, but it didn't bother you none. Okay. And uh, so the first day I'm out there playing, and I know I'm going to be playing golf in the wintertime, and I'm, I'm really happy to be there. And I, I hit my drive on one. I walked down there and put my bag down on the ground, hit my next shot. When I went to pick up my bag, there was a tarantula there. And I didn't know what it was. Okay. I, I had no idea what it was. I said, we don't have these things in Jersey. So I, uh, I found out later what it was, knew enough, learned enough to keep away from them. And uh, then I, I went to the second tee, hit my drive up the second fairway. And I'm looking on the ground there, and there's a, about a half-inch wide trail for 100 yards, just a path. And I'm thinking what in the world? And, uh, so it was fire ants oh, and is it, it millions of them. I mean, this is a half an inch long wide thing for about half to hundred yards. And, uh, so it was big time culture shock. I went to, I went to school there and it was the worst golf course ever, but I had more fun on that course than anyone I've ever played at. It had one bunker on it and we called it the trap. And, uh, this, the green fee for students was a quarter, and it was overpriced. Okay. <laughs> so um, I really uh, – our, our coach said we couldn't play for more than a quarter, but every day at noon, if you wanted to, there'd be 12 people on the tee, and, and you and I would wheel combination and our foursome against your foursome, skins, met birdies, whatever. And you'd have like – at the end of the day, you'd have like 75, 25-cent bets going. And, uh, it was too complicated to keep score. We had one guy that didn't play. He just kept score. We called them stats. Nice. And at the end of the day, if, if you owed me 75 cents, you would pay off 
and I'd want you to pay off because you could buy a steak for three bucks. So it was great. You could play really well, win $15 or $20. And if you played really bad, you can probably lose about that. But it was great. It was so much fun. And uh, there was so much local knowledge on the course that I really wanted to make sure that I could play that course because we qualified on that course a lot. And I got where I could really play it well. And one time the 10th hole went downhill and the 11th hole came back in the opposite direction. And one day I played them both into the wind. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, and there's no there's, it's rock hard fairway, sure. uh, small mesquite trees, wind blowing 30 miles an hour. I went to school for, I went to four years and my mom came to graduation and said, Dennis, you've been here four years. What'd you learn? I said, the biggest thing I learned was in order to score well in the wind, you have to keep your short irons down because if you try to balloon them in this wind, forget it. Uh, that's a proud, that's a, that's a, that's gotta be a proud mother right there after four years of, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. four years she was of real happy about Oh that. yeah. After four years of education, you came away with, with a knockdown shot. Um, well you exactly. did, you, you did amazing there. You, you led your school to, uh, gosh, was, it must've been, looks like it was four consecutive Missouri Valley conference titles. You know, you had, you had great success in the amateur, amateur side, um, you know, especially with the USAM. You know, you wanted to play on tour. You actually played the mini tours for a little bit. Um, tell me about playing the mini tours in South Africa. Yeah, well, when uh, I went to Q school and uh, I got to the finals, the one time I tried it, and uh, they were just starting these mini tours. And so a friend of mine, uh, Eddie Pierce, he played for Wake Forest, played on tour. He was uh, he was helping the guy set it up, and he got me to go down there and played with all all of guys I'd played with in college and uh, all the top guys that you would know. So I did that, and then I went over to play in South Africa. I played with uh, all the world class players over there, and it was great experience. There was hardly any money involved in most of this stuff back then and there really wasn't a lot to play and if you tell people today that there wasn't much to play and they think you're crazy right but there just really wasn't there were some state opens you could play in these little mini tours were were starting to uh start up and you could go overseas and play and so i did that and i i played with all the famous south african players and the henning brothers bobby cole uh guys like that. I, I, I once was paired with Gary. I played a bunch of practice rounds with him and I finally got paired with him in a tournament and I beat him. You're talking about Gary and, player. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, uh, so when it came time for the voting for the hall of fame, he was in, the, he was in one of the final, he was on the final selection committee and he and Jack Nicholas were, uh, my advocates. I found out later oh, wow. and he mentioned that fact to the selection committee which that I had beaten them in a tournament. And uh, so it was really the whole, the whole golf world in some ways it was, and still remains connected uh, with uh, very few degrees of separation. Of course, of course, that's what makes this uh, game so great. You know, your, your career as a, as a touring professional uh, doing clinics, doing exhibits, the awards, the accolations, and all the the positive work you've done to uh, influence children and and people all over the world, for that matter, uh, let alone the the United States, Uh, you know, it all started due to basically a very, very unfortunate accident. And, you know, it's important to kind of let our listeners understand how your career and, and, you know, in part started. So, you know, we're, we're, of course, talking about July 21st, 1974. You were you were thrown from a golf cart uh, going down a steep hill on a course near your house and unfortunately suffered a, a spinal cord injury. And um, I, I'll just kind of let you take it from there uh, just to explain to, to the listeners, you know, what you went through to kind of, uh, you know, fight through that incident in your life and then to get you start of, you know, to get you towards, you know, playing golf and doing what you're doing today. Well, that everything you said is 
is basically true. I, I always wanted to play on tour. I've been on tour for 41 years. Yeah. This is not exactly the tour I had in mind. It's your own tour, uh, Dennis. You made your own tour. Yeah, right? <laughs> I have my, I do. I had my own tour and I wanted to, that's what I really wanted to do. That was my big dream. I had this accident. I was going down. I still really don't know what happened. I was going down in a, a steep hill in an old three wheel golf cart. They don't make them anymore, but I was going down this hill and I don't know exactly what happened. I remember the cart starting to slide on these little blue stones and that's about it. And I, I was on the ground. I don't know. I didn't have a scratch on me. Nothing hurt, but I couldn't get up and I had damaged uh, my spinal cord. I, I, um, dislocated a vertebrae, which pinched my spinal cord. So now I'm 24 years old. Everything I want to do is down a drain. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm in the hospital for four months. I'm in rehab for four months and I'm so bewildered. I'm so down. I'm so mad. Listen, a lot of people have it worse than me, but I think as far as being from a very dark place, I, I was probably tied for first sure. being, being as low as I was. And I, and I was just bewildered by the whole thing. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just wanted to see if there was what the, what fate had held for me. And I remember this just like it was yesterday. I was watching the Bing Crosby tournament, which is ironically the tournament at Pebble beach where I'm going to go into the world golf hall of fame in June. And I was watching that and I was laying on a couch with my dad and I was crying my eyes out because I felt like I should have been there too. And so my dad says, come on champ, let's go hit some golf balls. And I said, how do you reckon I'm going to do that? And he goes out of your blank and wheelchair. So I said, all right. So we went, we went, it was February in New Jersey. So we, there was a little clubhouse down the street that had a net. And so, um, we tried to figure out how to do it. It didn't work at first. I was hitting my legs. He went home and got a big pillow and put it under me. And I couldn't hold myself up because I'm paralyzed from the waist down. And so he got a, a big strap and tied it to the wheelchair, held me in. And I started swinging the club and I got where I was hitting them. Okay. And I did that for two weekends. Then it was about 38 degrees. And I said, I'd really like to do this outside to see where the ball's going to go. So we set up the whole pillow and the strap and we tied a rope to it, so, to the wheelchair, tied it to a tree so it wouldn't tip over. And I took it, I had this Byron Nelson. I'm glad there's no YouTube back then because this really, yeah. this must have been a pretty interesting sight if anyone's oh my God. at this. Yeah. Well, well, there weren't a whole lot of people around on a 38 <laughs> degree day, but still, um, I had this old Byron Nelson three wood. It was my favorite club. And I took it out on the lawn there and my dad teed one up and I topped it and I got kind of mad. The second one I hit in the soul plate, but the third one I killed about 140 yards right down the middle of the street. Didn't hit a car or nothing. It was a perfect shot. And my dad started jumping up and down. Like I just won a U.S. open. And, uh, we, we, that's how, that's how it started. Then I went down to Florida a couple, about a couple weeks later, I went down to Florida and I was going to stay for a couple weeks. I stayed six months and I met a guy named Alec Turnier, who was an old pro from Jersey. And every day he would tee balls up for me for like six hours. And we take a break for lunch and start in the morning, go into the afternoon. So I did that for about a month and I was hitting my driver about 180. And I said to him, Alec, I can't stand this anymore. I said, I want to go play. The first hole was 310 yards. I figured if I had a good drive, I could get on it too. So I had two high school kids push me over to the first tee. And they, they stuck the pillow under me and tied the strap on. And I hit driver about 180 right down the middle. Then we took the whole thing apart and they pushed me down the fairway. We got the whole thing set up. They tied, tied the strap around my waist to the wheelchair, shoved the pillow under me. And I hit a five wood up about maybe a yard just to the right pin high, just about off the fringe of the green. And so we took it apart and they pushed me up there again. And then I, they were going to do it again. And I said, forget it. And I leaned over the side of the wheelchair, putted it up for a gimme. It's like one of the best cars ever made sure, in the sure. history, in the history of golf. And the people, a lot of people were watching from the clubhouse because the clubhouse was behind the first tee. So 
So I go in there, everybody's cheering and everything. And I said, well, yeah, you know, this is great. I made a car, but it took 45 minutes. <laughs> if I'm going to play, it's going to take me like 12 hours to play a round of golf. Yeah. So, so my friend Alec, he saw me sitting on a bar stool and he said, tomorrow when you wake up, I'll have something for you. So he had cut the legs off the bar stool I had been sitting on and he put it on the passenger side of a golf cart. And that's really how I got back on the course. We had uh, two prototypes, and the seat I use today is 42 years old. Wow, wow. Well, you know, you're, you're talking about how you actually got out of a wheelchair to hit golf balls, but, you know, for people that aren't very familiar with your tour, that you're, that, you know, the, the touring that you've done over the last, uh, gosh, since the late 70s, I mean, you've, you've been to all 50 states, you've done over 3,000 performances where you're, you're hitting shots, you're delivering a very inspirational and positive message to to kids, to to you know wounded veterans, just about anyone you can think of in all walks of life. But I guess one of the questions I have for you is, how did you develop a routine or a show or even trick shots? Like how did how did you make that step? How did it, the light bulb click to where? Wait a minute, I I can actually do something with this. Well, what happened was I started to I played golf. Every day. I hit balls all day long. I was at the golf course the entire day, every single day. And I was practicing. I was working on my game. I remember, I had to figure out a way to play golf. I, no one, to my knowledge, I never met anyone that played golf sitting down. Sure. So I had to start with my equipment. I had my best friend of 56 years, Wayne Worms, who just got in the New Jersey PGA Hall of Fame. He was an assistant for uh, this fellow, John Caffone, who was a master club maker, could make clubs from scratch. You gave him a block of wood, he could make you a beautiful club. And so we spent one complete summer trying to figure out the length of the clubs that would work best, the lie of the clubs. And we did that. Um, I was starting to get a little better. I was but I was doing it all for myself because as rotten as I felt every place else, when I came to the golf course, I felt better. It was good physical therapy for me. It was good mental therapy for me. And it was probably far better medicine than any pill I could take. So I, in, I liked being at the golf course and I, I, I didn't know I could make a career out of it. I was just trying to cope with what I considered to be a totally hopeless situation. Sure. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just out there just trying to exist in this very weird world that I had been dropped into. So when this happened to me, there were three golf courses that had little benefits for me and they raised a little bit of money. And I said to my dad, I said, I would really like to go back and show these people that I am in fact playing golf again. He said, that's a great idea. So we went over the, the first two courses and I, I basically got on the tee and I said, this is how I, I'm playing golf now. This is what's the same as before. This is what's different. And I said, the other lesson to be learned here is every person I met before this said it would be impossible for me to play golf because I couldn't stand up. Of course they were right. So I started hitting golf balls sitting down. And so I told people how much I love golf and I didn't want to live my life without having golf in it. And I figured this out where I'm going from here. I have no idea, but this is making me cope with this situation. So I'm sticking with this until I figure it out. Sure. So for the third one, when I was, when I was 15, I played in the Met junior, which was at the Apple Wamas club in Rye, New York. And Paul Hahn senior was there. He was the most famous trick shot guy in the 50s and 60s. There probably have been a handful of people who've been able to make a living hitting trick golf shots, and he was probably the most famous. For whatever reason, I was in the first row, and I watched, and I said, that's cool, but I didn't want to hit a ball with a club that was made out of a, a hose or hit off a very high three foot high tee right. or while it was moving or this or that. I just said, I want to be a player. I want to play on tour, but this is, this is okay. This is cool. I like it. So I said to my dad, I said, do you remember when I went to see Paul Hahn at the Met junior? 
He goes, yeah. I said, could you make me a three foot high tea? Sure. No problem. So he made me a three foot high tea and I used that. I did everything I did on the first two day shows, these practice shows in 76, except the last shot I hit was off a three foot high tea and the people went crazy. They thought it was the greatest thing. So I said, hmm, maybe I'm onto something here. Yeah, of course. So the, 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 at that time, the PGA of America had a, 60, a 16 millimeter film that you could rent. And it was, it was Paul Hahn doing his show at the 1960 PGA at Firestone. So I, I got the film and I, I must have watched it 500 times on my <laughs> wall in my bedroom. And I said, I could do that one. I know I could do that one. No, forget it. And so I borrowed the ones that he was, that I thought I could do. And after a while, when I continued on, I started making up my own shots. And so in Jan uh, February of 1977, uh, one of my mentors, Gary Wyron, who's a very well-known guy in the golf business. Absolutely. He's, the one, he's, he's the guy who teaches people, professionals, how to teach. He's about 80, 81 now, and he's been a pro for his entire life. He's a very good player, still hits the ball close to 300 yards at, at that age, and he's a wonderful person, probably the best speaker you'll ever hear. And he became one of my mentors, and he got me a show, 1977, first one official show. I was at the PGA Merchandise Show in it was at Disney world. And if you've been to the PGA show, you know what a over a million square feet under roof, every golf manufacturer and a lot of non golf manufacturers are there. Sure. Well, in 1977, it was held at the contemporary hotel and they took the furniture out of the rooms and the exhibitors were in the individual hotel room. You told That's me the, how, I know you told me this story last week when we were prepping for this episode. And I love this story. So go ahead. I love yeah, the story. You can't make it up. I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy. So I'm doing this show with Bob Tosky and Jim flick. And we went outside and we're hitting balls in the, there's nowhere to hit balls. So we're hitting them into this lake behind the hotel. So I, I barely had golf clubs and hardly anything. And, uh, we got a, they gave us a growth of Titleist to hit. So Toski and I are hitting balls in the water. We're skipping them along the, the way and we're, we're hitting all the balls in the water during the show and after the show and before the show. So the there was like eight of them left. So the Titleist rep comes over and he says, want them? I go, oh man, if I had known that, I wouldn't have hit them all in the lake. <laughs> you know? Perfect. So, so anyhow, I was, uh, I started on this journey to do to try and make a go of it. Now, of course, hardly anyone would hire me, but, um, my dad would probably call every course in America. And he, he, every once in a while, he'd scrape up a show for me to do. But in the meantime, I was getting a lot better because I was doing hundreds of shows in the back of the driving range for my dog and the birds and the squirrels and the trees. Big fans. And so I swear I have been at the back of the range for a long time. Yes, you have. And, and so I was another ironic thing is the fourth show I ever did was at pine needles for the national golf foundation. And that, uh, it was owned by Peggy Kirk bell and her husband bullet bell. And so I'm actually, so that I've done over 3000 performances and the fourth one was there. And the ironic thing is I'm going into the world golf hall of fame with Peggy Kirk bell. Yeah. So, um, and we, they, invited us to stay there in their lodge anytime we came through Pinehurst and my dad and I stayed there many times and they were so nice. They never charged us anything. And we would hang out there and practice and do stuff with the kids and the members and everything. And everybody had a great time. And you mentioned uh, not to cut you off, but you mentioned Bob Toski. Bob was, um, or I'm sorry, Mr. Toski was on the podcast here uh, a few months back. Gosh, I got to sit with him and hear some great stories from him seems like he has come across everyone in his life, Hogan, Nelson, Sneed. Can you give me a good Bob Tosky story or give me one of an anecdote that you remember from the many, many years that you've known him, not just for that first appearance at the PGA show, but uh, I, loved, uh, I love Bob Tosky stories. So if you got one to share, I'd be thrilled to hear it. 
I had, here's the most recent one. Okay. I had, he had come up to, to uh, Jupiter in May and uh, watched me hit some balls. And I watched him hit some, and we talked, and we had a great afternoon. It was really fun. And so I went about shortly thereafter, I left and went on my tour, which is my 41st year, and I read where he had a heart attack, a very serious heart attack. And so after he was able to talk, I called him to see how he was doing, and when I got back off the road about a week or two ago, I heard him on the radio and he sounded great. So I called him up and I said, Hey Bob, I heard you on the radio. You sounded great. How are you doing? He goes, I'm doing great. I'm doing my therapy and uh, teaching a little bit back to teaching some. And I'm feeling very, very good. I said, man, that's great. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, and he said to me, what, how are you doing? And I said, well, I just finished my 41st year on the road and I was gone for about four months and now I'm home. So it's all good. He goes, you should be in the hall of fame. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to mention it to him, uh -huh. but since he brought it up, I said, it's funny. You ask, it's funny that you say that. I said, because I just found out the other day that I got in the hall of fame and he goes, no, no. He says, I'm talking about the big hall of fame. What Hall of Fame are you talking about? I said, the big Hall of Fame. <laughs> same one. <laughs> yeah, same one. That's great. So, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's quite a guy. I, I really, I love him. He's super. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned forty years or forty. You just finished your forty-first uh, year on tour. Um, gosh, you know, I'm I'm just I'm looking at all the the awards. I'm looking at all the things that you accomplished. You you've been hitting balls your entire life, it seems. Uh, who are some people that you've seen hit balls where you were just as enthralled in watching them hit as they are watching you hit? It's I've been lucky enough that uh, Ben Hogan got to watch me. He watched me hit golf balls. Sam Snead told me dirty jokes. Byron Nelson stood so close to me, I had to ask him to take a step back so I wouldn't hit him. I've done 30 clinics with Tiger, things with Arnold Palmer. One time I did a show with Arnold Palmer, and he was, he was, he was like two feet from me, and I was talking to him the whole time and, and not the audience so much. And I've done things with Jack Nicklaus and, and Gary Player. and I've met or worked with just about every famous golfer that was uh, playing golf in my lifetime. It, when I was laying in a hospital bed 45 years ago, I never actually thought I would get out of that bed. I figured if I get out of this bed, that's going to be a major accomplishment. Sure. And the thing is, if you think about it, the guy that won the Powerball lottery not too long ago, last week, the odds of him winning the, the Powerball lotto are pale in comparison to the fact if you go back 45 years and I'm laying in that bed and you say, it's okay, Dennis, in 45 years, you'll be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Now, the odds on that happening were, you couldn't count that high. Sure. And so it's a very, very unique journey that I've been on. I, I was unlucky, but I was lucky that I had a great mom and dad and a sister. I had a love of golf that somehow... I was able to figure this whole mess out and turn it into something positive. Yeah. And when I started, I was having trouble getting bookings, even though I was getting better. And in the early eighties, my dad wrote a letter to Jack Nicklaus, who at the time owned the McGregor golf company. And he tried to appeal to him as a father, trying to help his son. Jack's a great family man. Yes, he is. And so, he said uh, he wanted me to go up to Albany, Georgia and talk to the McGregor, the president of the McGregor company, uh, George Nichols. And I went up there and played golf with him and the rest of the guys on the team there. And so they signed me to a contract, which was really the biggest break I had up to that point. And because they sent me everywhere, I, I went from doing 30 or 40 shows a year to about 80 to 100. And I went to junior tournaments, charity tournaments. And every time I did a show, my dad said, do it as the best you absolutely can. He said, you never know who's watching and you will influence others 
and you might even get a spinoff show out of it. So sure. we, uh, I've always kept that in mind. And so that was really my big break and took off after that. Well, you know, what's really unique is that you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned Hogan and Snead and Tiger and Arnie and Jack, and I guess you're probably the only person that I could really think of where those guys are absolutely enthralled with what you're able to do with a golf ball, as opposed to everyone staring at them being so enthralled in what they can do. They're looking at something that they could never do. They have never seen. So did you kind of get that vibe and that kind of a, a feeling when you're around these, these big pros? Well, I used to do about 15 PGA tour events every year. And, and there, I'd, I'd be, I'd be hitting balls and I'd be looking around and a bunch of them are watching me. Yeah, of So course. I said, I said, that's cool because I'm here with the greatest golfers in the whole world and I'm playing golf way different than they are. And they, they like what I do and they respect what I do because they know how hard golf is and to play it with only using your upper body and you're, you're paralyzed playing golf sitting down. I'm certain that most of them can appreciate how difficult that must be. Sure. And so that's, that's given me a lot of satisfaction because I've always looked at these golf shows as my tournaments because I wanted to do them. I wanted to hit the shots as well as I possibly could. And I viewed every one of these shows as a golf tournament. So I've actually played in over 3000 golf tournaments. If you go by my definition, of course. And so I've always looked at it from a player's mentality and I work on my game all the time. I'm still, I've been playing golf 61 years. I'm still trying to get better. And that to me is the real joy of golf. And I think that's the real essence of golf. You, you can never master it. You always want to strive for excellence, get better. And the thing that I've learned along the way is a lot of these traits that make you good at golf will also make you good in life. And that's really what my, my show is. It's a program, not only of golf lessons, great golf, bad jokes, and an uplifting message. That's the simplest way I can put it. And the most ironic thing about this for me is when I started doing this 41 years ago, I did it all for myself. I was just trying to cope with what I considered to be a hopeless, no-win situation. But what what happened was, as I started to do this, people I've been doing this so long, people would send me telegrams. And and most these kids today don't even know what that is. Okay, now for those people listening, telegrams (laughs) is when messages on a piece of paper are sent (laughs) through a teletype from one yeah. system to the other and you get handed it on a piece of paper. So, yeah. um, but no, that's great. And, you know, I guess, and I was a little bit hesitant to ask this question, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. You know, I've seen videos. Many people have seen videos of your trick shots. You know, you have the, the, the golf head on the rubber hose. You have the, the triple, uh, kind of the triple head three iron that you, I guess that you call it your three iron, but, um, you know, the shots are one thing, but it, it's almost like it's, I mean, is it fair to say that at some point it's become secondary and the message has become the most important thing? Well, I think there could be, you could actually look at it like that, but to me, not to discount still, your shots. No, I'm, I'm no it's still, okay. to me, it's still, it, it's very much a, a, a total package where the great golf is woven in with the message. It's a universal message and it applies to everybody and it applies to golf, but it applies to everything in life. You get out of something, what you put into it. And that's what I was saying before. When I did this for myself, it was one thing, but as I started to get feedback from other people, they said I was giving them hope. I was showing them what was possible, not only in golf, but what was possible in life. And so it all came back around to me as a gift. And so listen, to be able to make your way in this world by hitting trick golf shots, I think that's pretty cool. But to have the opportunity to positively influence others, maybe only by a little bit, but that's made it even better. Sure. No, I think you're doing, uh, I think, I think, I think you're influencing a lot of people in every single show and every performance that you're doing. You you mentioned Tiger Woods. So when he started his foundation in 1998, he he obviously gave the first clinic, 
And you you were at uh, you were the opening act for him at about thirty additional clinics. You know, we see a lot of things about Tiger. Um, you know, the, the 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 dominant force, winning fourteen majors and seventy nine PGA Tour events. What's it like to work with Tiger when he's doing a clinic in front of uh, in front of the kids? Well, that was really that was really cool. I I really have a lot of respect for Tiger Woods because I saw him in the beginning, and the first one was at Disney World, and so. I had a friend of mine who was the pro at Disney World, and he said, this new guy, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods turned pro in 96. And so first one was February 97. And so he said, this new guy, Tiger Woods, is going to be given a clinic. There's going to be a couple thousand kids here. I think he'd be perfect for it. Would you like to do it? And I said, yeah. So I went up there, volunteered my time, and then I, I was sitting there watching Tiger hit balls before it started. I go, wow, this guy's way better than everybody else. <laughs> and so they introduced him as Tiger Woods. He's won three U.S. junior tournaments and three U.S. amateur tournaments. That's how they introduced him. That's what he'd done yeah. so far. And so um, I went and I did it. And so when it, when it was over, his father, Earl Woods, and Tiger came up to me and said, we're going to do these all over America. You want to go with us? And I go, yeah, count me in. I'm in. Sure. And so we ended up doing 30 clinics together all over America, and it was great. And I enjoyed that very much. And it was a lot of fun. There's like 5,000 kids at every one, and just terrific. Really fun. Well, we, we've spoken about Tiger. I know that you've uh, had some uh, a lot of uh, poignant moments and, and very uh, uh, you know good breaks with a lot of the other greats of the game. Uh, tell me, gosh, I mean, I know you got stories for days, so let's just kind of, let's see, give me a, give me a good Jack and Barbara Nicholas story. When I got the Bob Jones award, I asked Barbara and Jack to be my presenters because they had both won the Bob Jones award. So I figured that would be cool. Sure. And so they did. And they said they would do it. They would be honored to do it. They, they, they were, they were flattered that I asked them and I'm going, really <laughs> great i love it but that's the kind of people they are they're very humble and they're very nice and it was great and so they they um were my presenters at the big dinner and we sat at the table together so i said to jack are you nervous about having to introduce me and he goes Nah, Barbara wrote the speeches and she writes good speeches. So, <laughs> so they got up there and they're talking like about eight minutes about me. And I, I'm, I looked over at my sister and I go, wow, are they talking about me? And we just had a, it was a wonderful night. It was the last year at uh, the U S open, the Tuesday of the U S open. And they had a wonderful dinner and a lot of people there. And it was a big, big moment uh, in my career. They're just, Great, great people. I just, I really think a lot of both of them and all the things they do for charity and their families and they're terrific people, great role models, and we need more folks like them. Absolutely. Um, uh, Dennis, one other question I forgot to ask you about your show. So you, you mentioned that you're practicing all the time now. You're still working on getting better with your game. How much of your practice goes into just hitting shots? How much of your practice is uh, practicing your, your trick shots? And um, and then finally, well, I'll let you answer that. I have one other one. But, yeah, tell me about just how you, how you practice and get ready for shows. Well, I usually hit balls six days a week. And I usually take three of those days. And if I don't have any shows, I take three of those days and I practice. I hit every one of my shots. And then the other three days I work on my, I hit a lot of drivers cause I use my driver swing for a lot of my shots. Sure. And I, I play a little bit. I played yesterday at the Palm beach par three course, which I love that place. Love that place and, too. Yeah. Oh, so I played there and I play a little bit. If I play, I usually play five holes, play one, two, three, eight, nine. And so I like to do that. And sometimes I chip and putt a little bit and that type of thing. So, you know, kind of working on a lot of my, a lot of my game and, uh, 
it's nice because from my house to the driving range is like a two minute golf cart ride. Perfect. How yeah. many how many shots are in your rep- repertoire? I mean, I know you probably don't use every single one in every single show, but I yeah. mean, if you had to go uh, and and you know empty the arsenal of all your shots, how many shots do you how many shots do you have? Can you describe a few of them for us? Sure. Well, the show is actually in four parts. The first part is is before I hit a shot, we have we usually have a question and answer period where we try and get to know the audience. They get to know us. And I try to help them with their game. Then we have the opening act, which is Mr. Bucky. Oh, we're going to get, we're gonna get to yeah. Mr. Bucky. Don't you worry about that. I'm leaving yeah. the best for last. Yeah, he's the opening act. He can answer questions by barking out the answers. He has some tricks that he does. And then uh, I ask him the questions, and then he takes questions from the audience. Then uh, the next part is, I tell my story and I hit drivers while I'm telling the story. And the last part is the trick shots. It's the fun part of the show and interwoven throughout the show is a positive message. Basically I, when I tell my story, I, I tell people about how much I love to play golf and how everyone told me I couldn't do it. And I try to challenge each person in the audience to do something in their life that perhaps they didn't think that they could do dream i tell people what my dream was and i also remind them that a dream is not something that you have at night it's having a positive thought in your head and having it in your heart doing whatever it takes to make it come true that's a real dream in my book yeah another part that i make sure the people hear is if you have a dream and it doesn't work out that's okay because the solution is simple get a new dream and that's exactly what I did. And so we, we talk about a lot of things like that. And when I, by the time I get to the fun part of the show, I, I have some, a lot of unusual clubs that I use. And each shot has a little story that goes with it. And the shot is the punchline to the story. So I have, uh, I have a, a, a club I call my three iron. I hit three ball. It's three three clubs welded together and I hit three balls at one time. One goes low, one goes medium, one goes high. I hit, I have a club made out of a fishing rod. I hit off tees three foot high. I also, I hit a ball with a putter, a long putt goes about 160, 70 yards. And then I also have uh, a shot where if you're running for your tea time, you can just leave the ball in the package and hit the ball. <laughs> nice. And it, uh, studies at Florida State say you can save seven seconds by leaving the ball in the package. So it could actually make the difference if you're running late, you avoid the penalty. There you go. Uh, these are some of the bad jokes that I have. <laughs> I also have the Judge Judy Gavel Club, <laughs> which is a gavel. We got to get you and, a. Uh, get you a. I take poetic career. license and say that I played golf with Judge Judy. Nice. And uh, this is her favorite club, which she gave to me. I have an exploding club. I hit balls with a left-handed club, right-handed. I have a hose club, a triple hinge club. I hit through fire. And the last shot I hit is a, it's a machine gun shot where I hit five balls in rapid fire while I roll down a ramp and across the board. And the last ball explodes. It's the only ball I hit in my show that's not a Titleist Pro V1. It uh, goes out about 30 yards and blows up. Nice. Well, you you mentioned so, Titleist. You got you've had a lot of you have a lot of great sponsors. I would say that's a description of most of the shots that we hit in a show, and I have a few uh, a few dozen other ones that I use at different times, or if I want to rotate some in, some out. But sure. so we just try to make a whatever the club is doing, we try to make it better. You mentioned uh, uh, Titleist. I know that Titleist has been, I uh, just want to give a little plug to your sponsors. So Titleist has been a great supporter of you and, uh, you know, Jersey Mike subs and fairway and green. And, and you've had a lot of support along the way. So, uh, you know, that's fantastic. They've been behind you for so long and, and making this a possibility before we get to your, your, your opening act, which is going to be the closing act of this episode. Uh, tell me, you know, you're you're going into the Hall of Fame next year. You're going in with Retief Goosen and, and and Peggy Kirk Bell. Um, I mean, 
What do you have planned for that night? Have you started on your speech? Has it sunk in yet? Well, the other two people are Billy Payne and Jan Stevenson. It's a class of five. Sure. And I still, it's still, it has started to sink in, but not probably as much as it will sink in on that big night. But I have been thinking about it. I've gotten a couple of ideas about my speech, but we haven't really had much feedback yet from the World Golf uh, Hall of Fame folks. And they're going to have us up to the Hall of Fame. They're going to show us where our lockers are going to be because you get a locker yeah, that I've has been a, there. I've uh, been there. a clear a clear front so people can see what's in it. And they put your they put your name in the sidewalk. And there's a lot of cool things that I'm sure I'll learn about, but. I know that uh, it's going to be really an exciting night. It's going to be a lot of uh, emotion, and I'm looking forward to it very much. Um, gosh, let's see. So, uh, is is Mister is Mister Bucky available for just a couple questions? Yeah, he's uh, he's he he does good radio interviews. And uh, <laughs> all right, I gotta I gotta set this one up for our listeners because. This is definitely a first for me here at the back of the range. So, Mr. Bucky is your dog. That is your opening act, your co-star at the Dennis Walters Golf Show. And I've seen this. uh, I've seen video of it. And you've told me stories about it. Um, And, and you know, we're going to ask him some questions. But give me just a quick story about what he, what kind of questions he's able to answer and then let's see if we can ask him uh, a couple questions. He's he's my fourth dog. Each one had been rescued from a re- uh, rescue group or dog pound. And I think that anyone out there that's looking for a dog or a cat, an animal shelter, a rescue group is a great place to begin your search. He's about, he's a 20-pound terrier mix. I, I, everybody has a guess what he is. I, I, when people ask me what kind of kind of a dog he is, I tell them he's a not sure, and they go, "What's that?" I said, "Not sure." I'm not sure. I got it the pound. Not sure what he is, but he's he's amazing. And his predecessor uh, Benji Hogan could answer questions by barking out the answers. So I'm no dog trainer, but I taught two of these guys how to do math and answer golf trivia questions, and. He can answer any question as long as the answer to the question is a number. And he is very good at math, general information, and golf trivia. Well, let's uh, – so so I will obviously put video of this up there, but let me go ahead and, and ask a question here. What do you got? How many times has Tiger Woods won the Masters? Go ahead. There you go. That's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see here. Name any hole at Augusta National, and it'll tell you what the par is. Okay. Uh, hole number one at Augusta National. There you go. How about number 12? Hole number 12. <laughs> Okay. Very good. I got to see this in person at some point. Not that I don't believe you, but I got to see this in person. Uh, <laughs> all right. So let me ask you one. Let me ask Mr. Bucky one last question here. Uh, how many majors has Sergio Garcia won? All right. That's that's. I can't stump the dog. I I, I got to shut it down if I can't stump the dog with the golf trivia question. But that that's incredibly impressive. Uh, we have a we have a small section here at the back of the range uh, called the quick bucket. I just had a couple of quick questions for you. If you could teach a class in a high school for a year, what would it be? That's a that's a very good question. A class in high school. Well, let's see, junior high, would, high, college. If you could just yeah, t- okay. take a year off and teach, I mean, okay. what would you want to teach? I think I'd teach math, and I'd bring Mr. Bucky with me. All right, so <laughs> so basically Mr. Bucky's teaching, and you're getting the paycheck. Um, <laughs> that's great. So uh, let's ask another question. Tiger, uh, Jack Nicholas won the Masters in 1986 at the age of 46. Um, I know you're close with Mr. Nicholas, but compare that victory to Tiger Woods potentially winning a fifth green jacket. Which victory would be the most substantial? 
Uh, well, again, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, and we're, he could win this fifth green jacket anytime. He wouldn't have to be. He could win it this year, next year, anything. Actually, you could just kind of say it if he wins another major, but I always like to tie it in with the yeah. Masters. So 86 Jack versus, you know, maybe 2019 yeah. Tiger. Yeah, well, I think I'm going to give this one to Jack because he won his sixth at at 46. Yeah. So I'm giving I'm giving this one to Jack. Gotcha. If you could give a major to anyone in history, alive or dead, they could have one major, they could have 18 majors. You can give a major championship to anyone in history. Can't be yourself. It's kind of a little rule, <laughs> kind of a little rule we have around here. Um, yeah. But if you can give a major to anyone, who would it be? Ed Sneed. Wow, you are the first one to say Ed Sneed. 79 Masters losing the playoff to Fuzzy. You are the first one that has yeah, mentioned but he, Ed Sneed. But he, but he bogeyed the last he bogeyed the last three holes. You're right. He did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. So You're Yeah, right. I would give it to him. I'd like to see him wear that green jacket. Yeah. Yeah. What do you uh, what do you want to accomplish for the next uh, for the next couple of years of your career? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take it one year at a time. Okay. And as long as it's still fun for me to do, as long as I enjoy doing it, and as long as I can do it the way I think it should be done, I'm going to keep going. If either one of those two things are not a big positive yes, then I'm going to try and figure out something else to do. What that is, I have no idea, but that to me is the scariest thought because I, I really have not done anything my whole life but this. So um, that's what I plan on doing. The other thing I, I want to try and do is I'm hoping that from the, the rest of my career, particularly in regards to the Hall of Fame, I'm hoping that I can shine a brighter light from, with a bigger platform to reach more people with my message and especially people who are in a situation like me who have a disability, because if you're sitting in a wheelchair, I can tell you that probably one of the last things you'd think about doing is hitting a golf ball. But if you see that it is possible, then you might say, Hmm, if he can do it, I can do it. And the thing about that is that if you can do something that you thought was impossible to do and you accomplish it, it has wide ranging ramifications in all other aspects of your life, in my opinion. And this applies to everybody again, because, but especially important for people with a similar situation as myself. And I would like to see as many people as possible enjoy golf because it's a wonderful lifetime recreation. You can play long after you can't play the other sports. You're out in the fresh air, the sunshine, you're with your friends, you'll make new friends. And you're involved in the study of a lifetime, which you can never master. And if you like a challenge, then golf is for you. Golf is not for everybody because not everybody likes the same thing. But sure. if it is something that you like, it's something that can give you great joy, teach you valuable lessons, and is a lot of fun. How are you going to beat that? Uh, wow, Dennis, that's just absolutely well said. And um, I really, really appreciate the time that you've uh, shared with me here today. I appreciate everything that you've done for the game of golf. For, for I mean, I, I can't even fathom the number of lives that you've touched, whether it's, uh, you know, children, people with disabilities, um, you know, wounded veterans, uh, just lovers of the game of golf, lovers of, of, of sport. I really appreciate everything you've done. Uh, I can't think of anyone else in the history of the game that is more deserving than you are to be inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. I'll definitely be watching that next year, and uh, and congrats on on your uh, your all your success. Well, I really appreciate the good words. And there you have it, another great episode here at the back of the range. Special thanks to Dennis Walters. Congrats to him and all he's done for the game of golf. That guy is going to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame next year. Make sure you tune into the Golf Channel when they have the induction ceremony. I cannot wait to hear his speech. Again, follow us on Instagram at the Back of the Range Podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Leave a review in Apple Podcasts. That is the most important thing you could do for us to help grow the podcast. 
We'll see you again next week for another episode here at the back of the range. <laughs>